right, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here this morning. It's good to be able to worship together through song, through reading of his word, through prayer, through um, time of communion and, and giving tithes and offerings. And we just continue that act of worship uh, by diving in God's word together. For those of you that might be new, my name is JP. If we've not met yet, I would love to be able to meet you uh, at some point after service today. And just want to welcome you here to Pomerado Christian Church, a place in which uh, we want to help everyone get plugged into the people and the purpose of the church that we recognize we are not perfect people, but we are people who have been and are still being changed by God to make a change in the world. And that we recognize we are called to be witnesses to who God is through our words, by sharing our faith, and through our actions, by serving the world. And in so doing, we use this verbiage of plugged in, changed by, and called to be witnesses in hopes that, like our church initials, it's PCC. So we hope it's easy to remember, and we hope that it shows how we live individually and as a church. And so we're glad to be able to spend this time with you this morning. Now, we are... Week four of our James series, James of Faith That Works. Uh, and when you came in, you received a bulletin. On the back of your sermon notes are the main points from the previous three weeks. Uh, if you want to get caught up, you can do so by looking at um, pomerado.com slash messages. You can also look at um, Apple Podcasts and Google Play if you want to get caught up to know where we've been uh, so that we know where we are so we can see where God wants to take us. With that said, if you'll join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are here in this place. I thank you for each and every person that is here, Lord, because each and every person here is someone who is formed by you, that you breathed life into, uh, that you love deeply, and that you want to draw closer to, Lord. And I pray for those who might be listening online later, that, that they know that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved um, before they even push play. God, I thank you for the fact that we can trust you, that we know that you are good, and that you are breathing life into us this morning. Some of us might be breathing heavily because things are difficult and we're struggling. Some of us might be able to breathe lightly and joyfully because of how you're working. And wherever we are, may our breath be a response to you, may be an act of worship to live for you and serve you with every breath that we have. May I decrease, may you increase, may you speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we uh, get ready for our sermon called The Evidence of Saving Faith, I wanted to share a brief story about when uh, shortly after Steph and I got married, um, I got uh, that letter in the mail that those of us love more than anything. It just says two words, jury duty. And um, I got jury duty. I ended up going to Alhambra because uh, I was in L.A. County at the time. And so that was the, the court I was reporting to. And somehow I actually got onto the case. And so I was sitting in the jury and listening to this case. And it was very much like a, a, a he said versus she said. It was very much just, you know, well, this, 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 and this happened. And well, no, this, 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 and this happened. And there was no evidence either way. It was really hard to be able to discern what happened. And so out of the 12 of us on the jury, six voted to not guilty and six voted guilty. And it was a hung jury. And they said, do, they think, do you think there's any way that you will be able to come to a conclusion as they asked us and they asked the foreman? And, you know, we said, no, we're, we're pretty much dead set right in the middle. And so they, they dismissed us. They thanked us for our service and dismissed us. And then, you know, the lawyers come afterwards and they kind of ask a few questions about, well, you know, what about this evidence or what would have made this case or this argument stronger? But what boiled down to the fact is that there wasn't enough evidence to really know what was going on either way. And so when it comes to one side versus the other, we, we just kind of were stuck and you just kind of picked whoever you thought you believed most, but again, there was no evidence to say either way. 
So the main thing that I remember from that time was that uh, when I was on that case for about a week or so, the only thing that really stuck with me is the fact that uh, I finished several of the Chronicles of Narnia book series, like in between lunch breaks and stuff. So um, that's about it. With that said, uh, you know, we look at this idea of recognizing that there's a difference between when we say we believe in God and we say that Jesus has changed our lives and we say that the Holy Spirit is working within us and then yet we're able to see the truth of whether or not that's actually happened because of the evidence of a saving faith. Has, has God done such a thing in our lives that you could look and see that our lives have been made different because of the difference Jesus has made? Are we recognized that our lives are changed? Because here's the truth, and this is our, our main point for this morning, is the idea that we are saved by faith and not by deeds. That, that is unequivocally, that is the story of the Bible. It is not about our own good deeds. It is not about our ability because our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so we needed God to send Jesus, as we read in 1 Peter 3.18, that he died, that the unrighteous would die or would be able to live because the righteous died for the unrighteous. And that we'd be able to have new life in the spirit. That we recognize that it is, we are saved by faith and not by deeds, but a saving faith will produce good deeds. They are not mutually exclusive. They are not diametrically opposed. In fact, they are two equal parts of our faith that come together in how we live our lives. And so with that being said, we're going to be in James chapter 2 as we are in this pivotal section of the book of James, and we are in a pivotal section of the New Testament. James chapter 2, 14 through 26. If you're using the church Bible, if you're newer with us, there's a church Bible that is in front of you in the seat rack. Um, in front of you, uh, it's on page 1,881. Uh, if you brought your own Bibles, you're using the Bible app. Again, we're in James chapter 2, 14 through 26, looking at this main point that we are saved by faith and not by deeds, but a saving faith will produce good deeds. So I want to start off this idea of in the courtroom, as one person said one thing, the other person said the other. And so let's just look at the evidence of not a saving faith, but the evidence of a saying faith. What does it say when we say that we believe one thing or another? So in your notes, the evidence of a saying faith. And as we're looking at that, I wanted to share a story that some of you may have heard, some of you may have not. Um, it's a story of a tight, famous tightrope walker from many years ago named Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was someone that uh, was the first one to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope walk. Um, he ended up doing all these different types of uh, stunts or making it more extreme. So uh, there's one in which they talked about how he sat right in the middle and he made himself an omelet. I'm like, could have picked better food. I'm not going to complain. Um, but you had a time where he sat down and it talked about how he balanced one chair, or sorry, one leg of a chair and sat in the middle of the tightrope walk. So the, the amount of balance um, is crazy. The story that you may have heard before is the idea that he goes and he walks across the Niagara Falls and he walks there holding a wheelbarrow, which I can't do on a flat ground on a good day. So he's walking across on a, with holding a wheelbarrow, goes to the other side, comes back, and the crowd is just loving it. And so he says, who thinks I could do it again? And people are cheering, and they think, we think you could do it. Who wants to see me do it again? And they cheer, and they say, we want to see you doing it. And then they say, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> Suddenly, there were fewer cheers. 
But it pictures this idea that we have of a saying faith, one in which we say we believe, we say we have faith, we say we trust, but also all too often what we say can sometimes have a chasm as wide as the Niagara Falls. There can sometimes be a chasm between what we say and how we live. And so we're going to start here, verse 14 through 17, as we look at James chapter 2. And see, because as we go through this passage, there's going to be some times in which it might make us feel a little uncomfortable. And there's times in which we need to go into some clarity between what James says and what Paul says. We'll do some of that work together in a few moments. But as we hear what James is saying, let's recognize and let's let's look at this idea of the evidence of a saying faith. Starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? We'll stop there because notice that the emphasis in verse 14 is the idea if someone claims, if someone says to have faith, that there's no evidence of it, there's no actions that prove it, and there's no fruit born from that faith. And so the idea is if someone says, no, I believe in God. No, I believe in God. Yeah, no, we're, we're good. But there's no evidence that God has changed his life. There's no evidence that God has worked in her life in a way that is clear. And so this idea, starting off from the bat, it's the emphasis on someone who says they have faith, who claims it, but doesn't necessarily embody it. The next point here says, can such faith save him? What is this such faith? That kind of faith he's referring to, again, is one in which there is no fruit, one in which it is said, but not necessarily seen, one in which it is verbalized, but if they're in the court of law, they'd say, I don't know if there's enough evidence to prove that you really believe Jesus and that he's changed your life. And so he says, can such faith save him? And in the Greek, the way that it's written is, grammatically speaking, it's the idea of, it's it's implying that the only answer there could be is a negative answer. In the sense of kind of like the idea of, um, could anyone possibly, possibly believe that this is a faith that could save him? It's kind of that like, well, no, not you worded it that way, so no, of course not. But it's this idea that he says, can, any, can that type of faith, one without deeds, without action, without fruit, be one that saves? And so, again, he expects a negative response. Verse 15, he says this, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That in verse 2 of this chapter, we saw that James kind of set up another example. Suppose someone who is rich and has a nice gold ring and wears fancy clothes comes into your your church service. Don't treat him better than the one who's poor and has shabby clothes. He, He creates another suppose and he gives this example that tests how we are to respond. It tests whether we have a saying faith or a saving faith. Because what he's showing us here is this point that we see here, a saying faith in your notes, saying faith, just verbally acknowledging that, oh yeah, no, no, I have faith. Saying faith feels bad for those in need without feeling compelled to do something about the need. It's this acknowledgement of, no, 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 I I do, I feel bad that you are in this place, that that you're struggling. And, And again, this is written to A brother or sister, they say, suppose a brother or sister, someone within your own church body, someone within the body of Christ is without food and and doesn't have clothes and is really struggling right now. And you say, I I feel so bad. You know, be be fed, 
go and be warm without giving them the elements of the ability or, or using our resources to ensure that they are well-fed or that they are warmed. That we see that many people, in verse 16, this idea that someone we, we feel this and we feel bad, but then we do nothing about it. When that happens, that kind of faith has no good to it. That it's the idea that many people can recognize that there's a need that needs to happen, a need that needs to be met. But not all of us will always recognize that we might be the ones to meet the need. We think things like, oh, someone should do something about that. When sometimes that someone is us. And if we were to say, if I would say, hey, if you changed one person, that would change the world. Many of us would say, no, I, I would be willing to change one person in order to change the world. The impact that that one person could have, it would be incredible. It would change the world. So then what if we say that, what if that one person is you? That if you allow the Holy Spirit to mold you and shape you and form you to become more like Christ, and the ability that we have recognized we are not perfect people, but we're people who have been and are still being changed by God to make a change in this world, it could change the world if we all lived and we all embodied the kind of faith that has our beliefs, and our deeds working together and in so doing, being made complete. We see here, as it ends in verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. In my uh, devotional uh, earlier this week, on June 29th, from uh, Day by Day with Billy Graham, <clears throat> the passage is from Matthew 25, 35. And it says, I was hungry, and you gave me food. And this is what uh, Billy Graham said. During the war, a church in Strasbourg, Germany, was totally destroyed, but a statue of Christ, which stood by the altar, was almost unharmed. Only the hands of the statue were missing. When the church was rebuilt, a famous sculptor offered to make new hands, but after considering the matter, the members decided to let it stand as it was, without hands. And turn to the screens, it says this, For they said, Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work on earth. If we don't feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, entertain the stranger, visit the imprisoned, and clothe the naked, who will? It's not on the screen, but he continues. Christ is depending on us to do the very things which he did while upon the earth. My friend, if the gospel we preach does not have a social application, if it will not work effectively in the workaday world, then it is not the gospel of Christ. That there is an element in which Our faith, our belief in Jesus is what saves us. It's not about our own deeds. It's not about how good we can become. But because of the love and, the, and what he's done in our lives, that kind of saving faith will produce good deeds. It'll be like an overflow that comes out of the love he has for us will overflow into the way that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves in which we see someone who's in need and we don't just say, I feel so bad and, and I'm sorry. We find ways to serve. We find ways to come across. And I'm grateful that we are at a church that has a local community impact ministry in which we look for ways locally to be able to, to bless the community and look for ways to serve. I'm grateful that we're at a church in which we give a large percentage of what comes in in, a, in the weekly offering to global missions across the world. And so we're able to put our money where our mouth is, but now we also need to walk where our mouth is and to get to know people where 
in a place where they're in need and get to have conversations, build relationships, and go beyond. Yes, giving, that's absolutely a vital thing, but also giving of our time and giving of our talents and giving of the ways God has created us to build relationships with people who are in need, who are broken, who are hurting, and not just for us to not fall into a trap and not just our church, but the church not falling into a trap of, oh, be warm and well-fed, recognizing that we have the ability to help them be warm and to feed. We see here in verse 18, what comes up next is this, this, this section as we continue in the notes where it says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. <clears throat> Remember this book is written to uh, Jewish people who've converted to Christianity and have been dispersed throughout the world. And so as James is writing it, he's writing to a group of people that had grown up with, with thousands of years of history of it all being about what you do, about your righteousness by your works, by keeping the law, that if you make a mistake, you offer a sacrifice. And, and so it was all about what you do, what you, how you work, all these different things. And that was where we found, or they found, their redemption is that they would try to follow the law perfectly. When they mistake, they would offer up a sacrifice, and then they would try to do it again. And so imagine if someone from this mindset would then be told, no, you don't have to do anything. Jesus has already done it for you. That, that sacrifice that, that you've had to give every single time for the atonement of your sin is a sacrifice that Jesus did once and for all so that now we don't need to have a high priest who keeps coming in between us, that Jesus is that high priest. And because of that, we no longer have to keep offering sacrifices, that it is by grace you've been saved. Imagine hearing that and then the ability or the natural tendency that they may swing all the way to the other side of the pendulum and say, I got faith. I don't need to do anything about it. I have faith. You have deeds, but, but I, you know, I have just, me, me and God are good. I believe, and that's enough. And again, our main point is that we are saved by faith and not by deeds. So yes, we need that faith, but yet a saving faith is one that will produce good deeds. It's not diametrically opposed. <clears throat> they are not opposites. It is the kind of saving faith happens when we see our beliefs and our actions working together and in which we are made complete. So with that said, the next point underneath that says that <clears throat> saving faith understands God intellectually without knowing him personally. And the point that we get from this is <clears throat> just from verse 19. <clears throat> and in verse 19, it says this, You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. And that's a verse that whenever I hear it, it it's, it's, it's pretty shocking. It's a, it's a little, it's convicting. It's kind of, oh, wow, you're taken aback a little bit. Because if someone says, no, I believe that there is a God, awesome. Like, that's a good thing, but that is not enough. Oh, I believe that, <clears throat> that there's a God and, and, and that maybe that he loves me. Maybe I know that. Just knowing that there's God, that God exists, is not enough. Remember, looking at the Gospels, in which there are times that demons would come to Jesus and they recognized that he was the Son of God, the Son of Man, and they knew that. So Jesus was acknowledged as Lord or recognized that he was the Son of God, Son of Man by the demons, and yet that is not enough because they may understand the theology without having an actual relationship. That we may understand intellectually that, that there is one God. 
We may even understand intellectually, have a faith that is based on reason and head knowledge that Jesus died for our sins. But if there is not a personal relationship, if we have not believed and received what he has offered through the gift of salvation, that is not enough. And it's scary to think how many people in our world may think that that is enough and how scary that moment will be when they recognize that their degree of understanding, their intellectual understanding of God is that there's a God. And as we see in the scripture, James says, good, I'm glad you believe that. Even the demons do. And they shudder. Perhaps for some of us, we think of family, friends, maybe moments in our own lives where they're currently or in the past in which we hear this verse and it may cause us to shudder a little bit. And that's why it's important for us to go beyond a saying faith into a saving faith. So we turn our, to the, our attention to the, the screen of the evidence now of a saving faith. This with our few moments we have left together. We want to talk about this idea, verses 20 through 26. And I want to read it all together, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back and do some, uh, do some Bible study work. Verse 20, <clears throat> you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? That word useless is the same word as dead that we've seen earlier on. And so any of you that have had a phone that no longer works, like this is dead to me, this is useless. But the Greek does not say cellular phone. I just want to be clear. Um, was not our faith Abraham considered, sorry, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Verse 25, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so, without, so faith without deeds is dead. Now the saving faith, saving faith happens when we believe and receive God's gift of salvation. That's when we believe and receive God's gift of salvation, that that is what causes us to be saved. That is what causes us to have a right relationship with God. It's that when we believe and receive God's gift of salvation. We see this, we hear scriptures that talk about this um, often. And so I want to make sure we reiterate that when we read a passage that seems to say something different than what the Bible says overall, we need to dive deeper into that passage, see the surrounding scripture, and recognize how do we reconcile the two different viewpoints that seem diametrically opposed. But in reality, as we dive closer, we'll recognize that they're much more closely related than we initially thought. So when he says, uh, when Paul talks about Romans 3.23, it hits on this idea, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Titus 3, 4 and 7, 4 through 7. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. 
Notice these words of mercy, of being justified freely, of grace, of his generous outpouring. These are things that have been given to us by God, not things that we've earned. And then Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so Paul is creating this argument throughout various passages, and he's showing it is by faith that you have been saved. It is by faith you have been saved. It is not about your works. It is by faith that you have been saved. And so then when James comes in verse 21, and he says things like this, when he says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? When he offered his son Isaac on the altar, we have to pause and we have to dive into it a bit more so that we recognize to start off, as we said in our main points, we are saved by faith and not by deeds. So we list all these scriptures and the ones that we saw, and there are many others, but there's this idea of reminding ourselves, it is not about how good we are. It's about how good God is. It is not about what we do or what we've done. It's about how Jesus has already done the work for us. And yet, because of that love, because of his generous outpouring, because of his grace, because of that faith that we have, we now have the ability to share that love and pour out generously to those around us so they too can come into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So saving faith happens when we believe and receive God's gift of salvation. And that Ephesians 2 passage hits on the idea that we want to talk about, that it is by faith we've been saved, That is not for us to boast, but we are God's handiwork or masterpieces who are created to do good work still. That we are not created to have faith and just say, I have faith and you have deeds. We are created to be able to do the works that God has called us to do. That we as a church, we are called to do the ministry God has called us to do both here in San Diego County and across the world. That we don't just say, We love Jesus, and that's all that matters. We don't need to serve anybody, love anybody, give to anybody, or be generous. No, we say God has served us, God has loved us, God has given to us, and God has been generous. Therefore, we will do that to people locally and globally. And so we, again, we have this moment in which we recognize that we have to stop and say, then what is the passage saying? What is he referring to in in verse 21 about Abraham being credited righteousness because of his works. So let's go to the next point. That saving faith is revealed to others when our beliefs and our deeds work together for God's glory. We've kind of alluded to that a little bit a few times in the sermon, but it's when our faith, our beliefs and our deeds work together for God's glory. That they are not mutually exclusive. They are not diametrically opposed. They are two oars on the same rowboat in which we can move forward. They are two sides of the same train track in which you need both in order to keep going. I mean, these are so closely intertwined, but it can be so easy for them to seem so opposed. What I want to do is I want to take a few moments to look at a little bit deeper into Paul's explanation of Abraham's faith. And I want us to take a, so go with me for a few moments as we dive into the theology of Paul with Abraham. And then we're going to pull back and then see how what James has to say, again, is not different than, it ties more deeply to. So here's what Romans 4 says. Because verse 21 here talks about how he was considered righteous for what he did, let's look at Paul and what he talks about Romans 4, 1 through 5. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? 
If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trust God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. That this hits our, our point here, that what we believe makes us right before God. What we believe makes us right before God. That this idea that when Paul is talking about being credited as righteousness, this is an accounting term. It is, think of credit, like think of a financial term, that what was once an account that was empty was now given a credit into that account of now he was made righteous. That his righteousness account was zero. His unrighteous account, like ours before we come to know Jesus, was filled with all of our things that we've done that cause us to fall short of the glory of God. And so in the moment when Genesis 15:6 is the passage where it says, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. In that passage is when Abraham is shown all the stars in the sky. And God says, that's how many descendants you will have. And this is when Abraham was already well along within his years. This is when he's already heard that promise. and he's <clears throat> Not seeing how it's coming to fruition. And it's this moment, and, but what he says is, but Abraham believed and it was credited to him. It was accounted as righteousness. Again, a financial term in which now the ledger has gone from unrighteous and he moves it over to righteousness. And he stamps his name under the righteous column because of his belief. What he believed made him right before God. What we believe makes us right. We are credited as righteous. And we cannot stop there. Because if we've been credited with something that is not our own, that is a gift in the first place, then we could hoard it and hold on to it. Or... We could see those who are hungry and who are thirsty and who are imprisoned and who are in the hospital and who need clothing. And we could say, we've already been given so much. Let's give out of the, the line item, the, the budget where it says, we were now credited righteousness. Let's take that and let's allow those good deeds to be able to be shown as the proof of the evidence of the fact that God has changed our lives. Because before God, maybe we're miserly. Maybe we hold on to anything. And when we're miserly, it's the same root word that comes to the idea of being miserable. And maybe it becomes something we're no longer miserable. Now we're generous because we cannot outgive God. But he loves it when we try. That we are most like God when we are generous. When we think about what he's done for us. How he's loved us when we've been far from him, and yet he still generously outpoured his spirit, generously gave us his son, and generously offers the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We can look at that ledger, and we was made righteous by what he believed Abraham was. But what James is talking about is something different here. Inside the notes, it says, What we believe makes us right before God, but what we do proves we are right before God. What we do proves we're right before God. It is the evidence, it is the proof that to go to a court of law, it would then make it clear that, it is made, that we have been made right before God. Here's what Archibald Thomas Robertson says. So James, in, verse, in this passage here, verse 23, quotes, uh, sorry, quotes Genesis 15, 6 as proving his point in verse 21. 
that Abraham had works with his faith. The very same passage that Paul quotes in Romans 4.3 to show that Abraham's faith preceded his circumcision and was the basis of his justification. And both James and Paul are right, each to illustrate a different point. They're both using the term of credit as righteousness. Paul's emphasizing that Abraham's belief is what moved him into the column of righteous. And that James is saying that the fruit of that decision is shown through the way that he offered up his, his son's uh, Isaac as a sacrifice, that he was willing to lay down Isaac's life because as Hebrews 11 says, talks about how he believed that God would be able to raise his son back from the dead, that Isaac was the son of the promise and he knew that even if he laid down Isaac's life and sacrificed him, which meant he, it was what he, who he loved more than anything, if he did that, God was still able to fulfill his promise. He was still able to be faithful. And so we see these two different ideas here. It's not on the screen, but Archibald Thomas Robertson also talks about how Peter, or sorry, Paul and James use the same words, but they are talking about different acts. James points to the offering of Isaac on the altar as proof of the faith that Abraham already had, while Paul discusses Abraham's faith as the basis of being justified, his justification, that and not his circumcision. Again, there is no contradiction between James and Paul. John Wesley says it one more way. He was... Abraham was justified in St. Paul's sense, that is, accounted, made righteous, accounted righteous by his faith, antecedent before his works. And Abraham was justified in St. James's sense, that is, he was made righteous by his works, consequent to his faith, after his faith. So that St. James's justification by works is the fruit of St. Paul's justification by faith. That I want you to think about a lot of the stories that we see in the Bible about people who had great faith. In fact, you could look at Hebrews 11, uh, and the chapter has so many incredible stories. And verse 1 talks about how faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then verse 6 talks about how without faith, it is impossible to please God. And, and the author of Hebrews wouldn't be talking about without faith, it is impossible to please God if he was referring to the same kind of faith that claims to have faith and a saying faith but doesn't do anything about it. In fact, the entire section of Hebrews 11 is showing not just the faith that the people had, but the actions that proved the point of their faith, the ways in which they demonstrated that faith through their deeds. So we don't just say, we don't read in, Abraham, in, in Hebrews 11, Abraham had faith, the end. Moses had faith, the end. Joseph had faith, the end. David had faith, yet we see the actions that prove the faith that they had. Start thinking about some of the examples that we know so well. We talk about Abraham being willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, and in so doing, he showed God that he believed that he could raise Isaac from the dead. In fact, go before that in which he talks about how Abraham was told, hey, just go and you'll find a land. And so Abram, before he was changed to Abraham, Abraham just believed God and just walked. He just went. He showed that through his actions. Moses, that he was able to see a burning bush, and when he said, go tell the Pharaoh to let my people go, he was able to just do that, and, and he, it, it was, wasn't easy, but he goes, and he was able to take action upon that faith, trust God with that faith, and then be able to see how God worked miracles. He sent these plagues. He set the Red Sea. The people were freed, and Pharaoh was defeated. Then we start to see 
Joshua and the priests, when they're after the 40 years of circling in the desert, that, they, that God said, when the priest's feet touch the water's edge, then the, the river the, of the Jordan River will stop up at the city of Adam. We talked about this a while ago. That's 20 miles upstream. And so God was waiting for the exact moment when the promise had already been there, the faith of the person had to take action, and once the action was taken place, the sign was revealed. They were able to walk through and enter into the promised land. We think about David when he saw Goliath and he was able to say, who is this Philistine who comes up against God? And he's able to, in faith, be able to step forward and to slay the giant. We see the idea of the Elijah and the widow of Zarephath in which she didn't have enough food, but out of her faith in what God had, put, had told her to do, she was able to make food and to have water and oil enough for her family as well as for him, we look at this in the disciples in which they say, we've already been fishing all night, Lord, but because you tell us to cast our net into the water, we'll do so. And they incredibly had a miraculous catch of fish. We see throughout the Bible, throughout the story of the people of God, that it's not just enough to have faith with no deeds, but our faith is proven by the deeds that what we believe makes us right before God, but what we do proves that we have been made right before God. And so, as we conclude this sermon, as we conclude this section, as we talk about what it means to live out our faith, we can't stay comfortable. We, we can't, as individuals or as a church, be comfortable. That we recognize that feeding those who are hungry and giving drink to those who are thirsty and visiting those in prison and giving clothes to those who don't have clothes and going to entertain those who are strangers in hospitals and going over to do that, that's not easy. It's not comfortable. And even though God is a God of comfort, doesn't mean he's called us to a comfortable life. It means that in the midst of difficulty, he will give us comfort. Not that we are to stay comfortable every day. That Matthew Henry puts it this way, faith is the root, good works are the fruit, and we must be, see to it that we have both. So I shared with you in the very beginning of the sermon the, <clears throat> the story of Charles Blondin and how he had the wheelbarrow and, and nobody else wanted to walk across. And this is, my, this is my dramatization of how I think this conversation went because what we see later on is the idea that Charles Blondin's manager has been known, and we see a picture of it here, went on Charles's back and walked across. And my guess is that if you're Charles Blondin's manager, you're, you're making money, you're doing well, you're, things are good because the, there's the belief that this guy can do incredible things. And, if he's, and then if Charles were to say, again, dramatization, don't have any record of it, but if he were to say, hey, you're my manager, why don't you get on my back? That is a moment of decision. That is a moment in which Charles Blondin's manager can even say, hey, I said I believe there's a saying faith. I, I, I say that you can do great things. I'm not willing to get on your back. Or, or, like we see here, that there's a moment in which he jumps on his back and he is able to hold fast to the guide that he trusts alongside the path that is not easy, but the path that we've been given is a narrow road that isn't an easy road because broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way 
that, that he might trust, he has to trust in the Charles, on Charles with all his might. In the same way that we trust in the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we trust in him with everything. And when we do so, he will make our path straight. In all our ways, we acknowledge him, and he'll make that tightrope seem firmer than it really is. That we'll be able to fix our eyes upon the author and perfecter of our faith, and like Peter, be able to walk on water. That we'll be able to do these incredible things because not so that we could get credit, but so that God could get the glory. That Matthew Henry earlier, he also says that there's no way to show we really believe in Christ, but by being diligent in good works from gospel motives and for gospel purposes. That's not about our purposes, not about our motives. It's about more people coming to know who Jesus is and the truth of the gospel. That we serve people who don't have clothes and are hungry so that they can not just have physical needs met, but that they can have the ultimate need of a relationship with Jesus met as well. And so as we close, the question is, is if you were walking into a courtroom and there was a jury of 12 people that were sitting there and one of them just wants to get out and read Narnia, but the rest of them are there to pay attention. No, if you're sitting there and someone were to present the evidence of your faith, would they be able to say, here's exhibit A, they profess that they have faith and that's it? that they claimed to have a faith, but there was no actions or no deeds? Or would they be able to say, Exhibit A, this is the moment in which they gave their life to Jesus and they trusted him with anything. Here's the moment in which they started to recognize that they wanted to go deep with the Lord and they had time reading his scripture and meditating on it and, and praying and they wanted to become more like Christ. That Exhibit C, here's the one in which they, they got connected in a community of people that held each other accountable, that encouraged each other, that they found a church home and church wasn't a, a, something that they did once or twice a month. It was a non-negotiable for their life because starting their week with worship is how they wanted to live. Maybe it's Exhibit D is in which they're able to start serving, to start teaching, to start growing, to start loving, to start giving. And then all of a sudden, would they be able to look at your life and say, no, that's a saint faith that's only exhibit a and there's no proof that jesus had made a difference or would they be able to look at your life and then be said no those people you can see that god has worked because we have they've been saved by faith and not by deeds but the saving faith they've experienced has produced good deeds Father, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord, and we pray that you would work in a powerful way within our lives, God. As this is a passage that can be a little difficult, Lord. It can be hard for us to navigate whether the harshness of hearing that a faith without deeds, without action is dead. So, Lord, I pray that we would rest true and rest deeply on the fact that we build our lives upon your love, Jesus. And it is a firm foundation. And so our right standing, our accounted as righteousness is because of what you did, Jesus. And it's out of that account when we've already been credited more than we could ever imagine that we give, that we serve, that we love. And in so doing, those good deeds prove that our account has been made righteous by you, that what we believe has made us right before you, but what we do proves that we are made right by you. So, Lord, I pray that you would stir within our hearts, that we would build our lives upon you, and that in so doing, we'd be able to have the opportunity to have gospel motives and gospel purposes and delighting and being diligent in those works 
so that people far from you would be brought near to you. Those who are in need would have those needs met by people who love you and that your name would be glorified and more people would come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.